Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. Lisa and I have started our annual tradition of watching terrible Christmas movies. A little bit early this year, but what the fuck? Time's broken. So we've watched about three or four of them now, and I got an idea for a magazine cover that could be in the montage at the end of one of these Christmas movies. So I want to see what you guys think of this. It'd be one of these movies where, like, there's a prince of made up a stan, and he comes down with a case of Christmas amnesia and has to get a job in a diner or something. And then he falls in love with one of the servers. They get married. She becomes the princess of made up a stan. They have a Christmas wedding. You know, one of those movies. Anyway, as like the closing credits are rolling, you get a montage scene where you find out a bunch of stuff that happened since the wedding. And one of the things is that, and they talked about this in the film a little bit, but he really loves diner food. And so he opens his own chain of fast casual restaurants where all of the proceeds go to orphanages. And as part of the montage where you find out this is happening, you see a magazine cover where it's the prince holding up a jalapeno popper with this look on his face like, I can't believe this is happening either. And the headline says, The Prince and the Poppers? Anyway, that's my idea for a magazine cover that could be in a montage at the end of a Christmas movie. Now, I don't know how much Hollywood pays for coming up with stuff like that, like three, four hundred thousand dollars Whatever you guys think is fair, just uh, send that check to Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. All right, now that we've got that business taken care of, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Jeff O. Nighthawk is dead. Valkyrie also is. Well, maybe not quite. Here's a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Jeff. I threw an extra vowel in synopsis because I liked the way it sounded better. Hope you don't mind. Defenders, number 108. June, 1982. The Wasteland. Written by J.M. DeMatteis and Mark Gruenwald. Drawn by Don Perlin. Inked by Joe Sinnott and Sal Trapani and Hilary Bartis. And now Milgram. Lettered by Shelley Lefferman. Colored by George Russos. And edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. Hellcat. Gargoyle. Son of Satan. Beast. Namor. The Incredible Hulk. Spider-Man. And Valkyrie. Previously in the Defenders. An indeterminate amount of comic book time ago, billionaire-do-well-bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, ran afoul of a jerkhole former CIA agent named August Masters. Masters had a bunch of henchmen who he dressed like Roman centurions for reasons that remain aggressively unclear. He also had an evil plan to use kidnapped psychics to murder everyone in the Soviet Union. Kyle thought this was a bad plan, so he and the other Defenders, and guest stars Captain America and Daredevil, thwarted it. 
Hooray! Then in an act of unnecessary self-sacrifice, Kyle and the Psychics blew themselves up, destroying Masters and the Centurions in the process. Bummer. While the gang was still reeling from witnessing the death of the affluent avian aficionado, tragedy struck again. A lone surviving Centurion emerged from the rubble and shot Valkyrie in the back with a missile, killing the sorcerously Scandinavian Swordslinger. The gang returned to New York to mourn the loss of their fallen comrades. The heroes exchanged trite platitudes in an attempt to console a grief-stricken Patsy who had taken the death of her teammates particularly hard, but to little avail. While the rest of the heroes attended a small but tasteful funeral-slash-pyrotechnics display in upstate New York, Patsy stayed at home and attempted to process her grief by writing in her diary. Much to the cat-costumed crime-fighter's surprise, her journaling was interrupted by the arrival of an unexpected guest. The Ghost of Valkyrie. After a few seconds, the Azir apparition dissipated, leaving a confused and distressed Patsy in its wake. Meanwhile, in a remote section of far-off Asgard, longtime Defender's foe, Amora the Enchantress, was dealing with a very different set of feelings inspired by a mysterious apparition. Lately, Amora had been hooking up with an entity called the Lord of Love, who wore a white robe, had shoulder-length brown hair, and is heavily implied to be a Marvel Universe stand-in for Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know! The Enchantress was worried that her checkered-slash-supervillainous past might be a turn-off for the Ursat's Lamb of God, so she wanted to get her hands on a magic flower called the Rose of Purity, which apparently had the power to wipe her proverbial slate clean. The only problem was, this mystical MacGuffin was on a far-off dangerous planet, and Amora was hesitant to clean her soul if it meant getting her hands dirty. Back on Earth, the funeral guests had finished with their ceremony and had arrived back at the Sanctum Sanctimonious. Patsy informed them of Valkyrie's unscheduled spectral cameo, so the gang grabbed Valkyrie's magic sword dragon fang and gathered around Steve's dining room table for an impromptu seance. No sooner had the assembled heroes joined hands than the phantasmic figure of Valkyrie rose through the table and started spoon-feeding them and us exposition. Ghost Val explained that she wasn't really all the way dead on account of the body she was wearing when she got killed wasn't really hers. It was Barbara Norris's. Oh shit, this whole thing. Okay. See, an indeterminate but seemingly significant amount of comic book time ago, a lady named Barbara Norris had joined an evil cult that wanted a demon called the Nameless One, who I call Glenn, to take over the planet. At the last minute, Barbara changed her mind and saved the planet by allowing herself to be sealed off in a pocket dimension alone with Glenn. A little while later, the Defender stumbled across this pocket dimension and Steve decided to quote rescue unquote Barbara by yoinking her out of that dimension, only he didn't ask Babs if she wanted rescuing first, and it turned out she had psychically bonded with Glenn, and the mental trauma of having that bond abruptly severed sent Babs into a state of mystically induced madness that left her constantly shrieking a long string of capital vowels. Oops. Then the gang ran into Amora the Enchantress, who decided that since she had the mind and superpowers of a Valkyrie named Brunhilde lying around somewhere, she may as well stuff those into Barbara's body, sorcerously displacing Barbara's magically shattered mind. This new Barbara-bodied being became the hero we know as Valkyrie. An indeterminate amount of comic book time later, Barbara's mind found its way to Asgard, hopped into Brunhilde's old body, and started palling around with Olerus, the Norse god of biathlons who dressed like a street shark and wanted to take over from Hela as the new god of death. The Defenders helped thwart Babs and Olerus, after which Hela sent them both to the eternally unpleasant Asgard-adjacent realm of Niflheim to be tortured for all eternity. <sighs> anyway, 
Ghost Val told the Defenders and Spider-Man, who was still hanging around for some reason, that since her original body was still alive in Niflheim, her soul couldn't rest. She asked her fellow Defenders to help her go get her old body back. That sounded like a good deal to the gang, and they were about to embark on their quest, when suddenly, Val's ghost got hoovered into her magic sword. The sword flew across the room and into the waiting hands of the Enchantress, who had just teleported into the room. Hi, the Enchantress! Amora informed the Defenders that she would only give them Valkyrie's soul back if they fetched her the Rose of Purity so that she could finally feel worthy of boning down with off-brand Jesus. Gadzooks! Will the Defenders go along with the Enchantress's plan? What deadly forces guard the Rose of Purity? And what will happen to Barbara Norris's soul if Valkyrie repossesses her old body? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Some of them will. A nice alien couple who loves to dance. And... It shoots off into space with Halloween Store Jesus for an eternal fuckfest. When the Defenders get over the initial shock of the Enchantress's abrupt appearance, they're pretty steamed at her. Both Patsy and Hulk seem to be of the opinion that perhaps a smashing is in order, but Amora does a little... Nice sword that has the Valkyrie soul in it I've got here. Sure would be a shame if anything happened to it. Thing. And they back off. Enchantress elaborates on the nature of the deal she's proposing. She's like, Looketh thou, guys. Okay, that's enough Elizabethan bullshit. Why do us ancient Norse gods talk like that anyway? It's a different language than the one we would have spoken, and from a totally different historical era. Anyway, here's the deal. I swiped Val's Barbara-infused body out of Niflheim, and am keeping it in stasis in a secret location. It's guarded by spells and harpies and shit, so even if you found it, you'd never be able to get to it. But if you go to this weirdo planet for me, and bring me back this doodad called the Rose of Purity, I'll smush your friend's soul back into her body for you. What do you say? Surprisingly, it is Steve who asks what will happen to Barbara's soul once it is evicted from its host. Amora is like, oh, it'll float off into limbo and die. It'll probably hurt a bunch, too, seeing as she isn't magic like Valkyrie is. When Ghost Val hears this, she pipes up from within the sword and is like, No way, guys! Don't do it! You can't kill Barbara just to save me! Good for you, Val. Although, to be fair, kicking Babs out of your body so you could have it back is explicitly what you asked them to help you do last issue. Animated by the force of Valkyrie's fickle but emphatic determination, Dragonfang flies from Enchantress's grasp and zooms across the room. Patsy plucks the blade nimbly from the air and is like, Chill out, Val. I know that Amora is a dick, but I don't think I can deal with losing you again. I don't want Barbara to die, but if I have to trade her life for yours, I think that's a bargain I'm willing to make. It might be wrong, but I don't care. It's gut-wrenching, and I really wish her speech had ended with that, but unfortunately... She goes on to express the sentiment that, since Barbara suffers from a mental illness, she would have a lower quality of life, and therefore her life is worth less than Valkyrie's is. Oof. I get that Patsy's grieving and is maybe grasping at straws here, but that is super fucked up. Son of Satan offers the less horrifically ableist rationale that if they don't do as Enchantress demands, 
she will destroy Valkyrie's body, effectively killing both Val and Barbara, and that if they go along with her plan, they can at least save one life. Hulk and Namor side with Patsy and Damon. Steve, on the other hand, is like, No, Patsy, sacrificing Barbara to save Valkyrie would be wrong. Besides, I can probably figure out a way to get Val's body back. I'm very good at rescue missions. Uh, Steve, the last rescue mission you went on ended with both Val and Kyle dead. You're not exactly on a winning streak right now. Spider-Man, Beast, and Gargoyle end up siding with Steve, but Team Patsy is unswayed. Amoris like, Okay, fine. I guess Hellcat, Hulk, Namor, and Son of Satan will just have to fetch the rose by themselves. And with that, she teleports Team Patsy to the weirdo planet where the Rose of Purity is growing. As soon as they are gone, Steve turns to the remaining heroes and is like, Okay guys, let's go. It's just like I told you all telepathically while Amora and Patsy were saying things. Spidey's like, I don't see why you couldn't have told the others what you told us. Steve is like, my magic told me that they might have disagreed with me, so I didn't bother. If my time on the mystical internet has taught me anything, it's that it's much easier to convince people of something if they already agree with you about it. Well, that and the fact that tiny flame ghosts are nasty. Hmm, so nasty. Now let's get going. Steve, Beast, Gargoyle, and Spidey rush off to do whatever it is that they decided to do. Meanwhile, Amora, having just dropped off Patsy and her pals on the weirdo planet, returns to the cosmic love nest she has set up with I can't believe it's not Jesus. She gives him a big smooch and is like, I'm so glad that we're together. I mean, I've been with lots of men before. Like, lots. But they all kind of sucked. So that's why when I decided I was ready for a real relationship, I reached into the ether of the universe and yoinked out the very concept of love and coalesced it into your form. Ah, so that's where he came from. Enchantress continues, Being with you makes me want to be a better person and regain the purity that I once had. And I figure the easiest way to be a better person is to blackmail some other people into stealing me a mystical item that will magically make me a better person. I'd go get it myself, but if I left you alone, your body would dissipate, and I do love that body. Then they make out for a while. While Amora is romancing her own personal Jesus, Patsy and her party are searching the planet that they were just unceremoniously deposited on. Val's ghost starts speaking to Patsy from within the magic sword. She's like, look, Patsy, I really appreciate everything you guys are trying to do for me, but please don't. I'm not comfortable with you killing Barbara for me. It's, it's wrong. Patsy is like, I'm sorry, Val, but you don't get a say in this. You know as well as I do that a woman in this comic book has never had agency over her own life before, and it's about time that trend worked in my favor for a change. Val's like, but that's not, whoa. Uh, okay, that's weird. Now that I'm not in Barbara's body anymore, I'm starting to have flashbacks about my old life long ago in Asgard. I... I was hanging out in a bar, talking to the Enchantress. I was telling her about how I was bored and unfulfilled and wanted to try something different, to have some new kind of adventure. When I said that, Amora got a funny look on her face and told me that she'd been looking for a big, strong lady like me, and that if I went with her, she could offer me all the wonder and excitement my life had been missing. The gang is like, uh, 
go on. Val's like, dang, that's all I can remember. Suddenly, a strange and beautiful music fills the air. The heroes find themselves drawn to the source of this siren song, journeying across the planet's barren, desolate surface until they arrive at a clearing where they see a giant, goofy-looking, four-eyed blue alien with two tentacles growing out of his torso who is dancing a jig while a pretty red alien plays the harp in the shadow of a huge white rose. Huh. Patsy is like, You guys! Do you think that's the Rose of Purity? Namor is like, What, the giant blue guy? Patsy is like, No, I meant the huge rose. Namor is like, Ah, yes, that probably makes more sense. An image of the Enchantress's giant disembodied head appears in the air above them, and is like, Yes, that huge magic rose you see in front of you is indeed the huge magic rose I was talking about. Now, go get it. Dumbasses. The sudden appearance of Amora triggers another memory for Val. This one's significantly more contentious than the last. The two Asgardians were hanging out on a mountain. Val was like, Hey, Enchantress, when we first started hanging out, I didn't know you were evil. But now I do, so I'm calling it quits. Amora was like, Whatever, I don't even care. I figured you were probably going to do something like this, so I've been siphoning off bits of your soul this whole time. Now I've got enough that I can seal your body in this mountain and still goof around with your soul and powers and use them for pranks and stuff. So there. Harsh. But honestly, I've had worse breakups. And that's how Val's soul and body got separated in the first place and how the Enchantress got control of them. Good to know. Ghost Val is stunned by this revelation and by the flood of other memories that accompany it. She yells out, I finally have my memories back! Namor is like, Good for you. It's always pretty exciting the first few times you recover from amnesia. After that, diminishing returns. Savor this while you can. Namor is not the only one to react to Ghost Val's outburst. As soon as she starts yelling, the music stops. The two aliens come over and are telepathically like, Hey, strangers. Nice to see ya. We don't get many visitors in these parts, but we and our awesome god extend a hearty welcome to you. Make yourselves at home. Namor is like, And what god would this be? The big blue alien thinks at them, Why, this enormous white flower. Isn't it neat? We love it so much. The red alien telepathically chimes in. Our spaceship crashed here a few centuries ago, and we would have died a long time ago if it wasn't for this flower. It's super magic, and it loves us, and provides for all our needs, and makes us happy. It's the last native of this planet. We love it, and each other. And dancing! Want to dance with us? The music the heroes had heard before starts up again, and this time, its effect on our protagonists is much more intense. Looking around themselves, they see joy and beauty where once there had been only desolation. Namor steps under a waterfall that has just appeared, and is renewed and reinvigorated. Patsy is filled with a sense of peace and belonging she has not known for a long time. Pure love and overall well-being seem to radiate out of the oversized rose. Only Hulk seems a bit pensive. The big blue guy thinks at him, Hey buddy, what's the deal? 
Elk is like, Well, your planet is nice, but we want Sword Lady to stop being dead, so we need to pick your flower. The mood abruptly changes. The big blue guy is like, You want to steal our god? No way. Hulk is like, Yes way! And punches the blue guy. Well, shit. So much for paradise. The blue guy proves to be more than a match for the Hulk, and Namor and Son of Satan are abruptly jolted from their reverie and leap to their emerald ally's aid. As soon as they start fighting, the landscape is once again a barren wasteland. Patsy starts advancing towards the Rose of Purity with Val's sword in hand. From within the sword, Valkyrie shouts for her friend to stop, but Patsy is intractable. She is about to slice into the flower's stalk when the red alien throws herself into the blade's path, forcing her to stop mid-slice. The red lady is like, Stop it! You're fucking everything up! Me and my big blue lover over there used to be horrible, violent assholes. This flower chills us out, but you're reawakening the rage and brutality within us. If you don't knock it off, we're going to go back to being jerks, and the rose will get pissed and turn this planet back to a total shithole. I, I can tell you're not an evil person, so I don't get why you're doing this, but fucking quit it already. Hellcat pushes the nice red lady aside and is about to cut the flower, but at the last second... She can't bring herself to go through with it. Together, she, the Red Lady, and Ghost Val convince the dudes to stop fighting. There's a tense moment, but then the magic flower turns the joy juice back on, and everything's chill again. Hooray! Then Amora's disembodied head pops back up in the sky and is like, Whatever, losers. I'll just trick some other chumps into getting me that rose later. But you dipshits are hosed. I was your ride home, and now I'm leaving you here. Plus, I'm going to destroy Valkyrie's body. Bye. The head slowly fades away into mist. Patsy is like, well, shit. The blue guy is like, well, uh, you guys want to hang out here? You can dance with us. Son of Satan is like, yeah, okay. Back at her cosmic love nest, Enchantress is pretty peeved at Team Patsy. She's like, Welp, surrogate space Christ. I didn't want it to come to this, but I'm a goddess of my word. Said I was going to blow up Valkyrie's body if those guys didn't get me the Rose of Purity, so I guess it's time for me to blow up Valkyrie's body. Here I go. Amora fires a mystic bolt at the lifeless body submerged in the glass coffin in the center of the room. Oh no! But, before the bolt reaches its target, a small disc shoots into its path and diverts the beam. Team Steve is on the scene. Hooray! Enchantress is like, What the fuck? How did you guys even know where I was? A voice directly behind Amora speaks for the first time and says, I told them. It's the Lord of Love. Amora is hurt and confused. She sputters, But... Why, beloved, why would you betray me like this? The Lord of Love is like, Well, you're kind of a dick. See, when we first hooked up, I thought you were awesome, and I was really grateful that you gave me a physical form. Plus, I was pretty into all the makeouts. But then, I started paying attention to all the fucked up stuff you've been doing, and damn, not cool, lady. I figure if I stick around, you're just going to get more possessive about me and keep doing shittier and shittier stuff. And that's not how love rolls. 
You can't chain love down. Me shared is not me diminished, baby. Enchantress is like, but, but won't you miss my, uh, you know, companionship? Halloween store Jesus is like, nah, see, there's a perfectly good lady soul lying in that body over there. I'll just yoink Barbara Norris out of there, and then me and Bab's soul will scoot up to heaven or whatever and have a spiritual fuckfest for all eternity. Bye! So the Lord of Love yoinks Barbara Norris's soul out of Valkyrie's body, and the two of them fuck off into the cosmos. Bye, Halloween store Jesus! Bye, Barbara Norris! The Enchantress starts to break down in tears, but quickly stops herself and redirects her sorrow into an emotion she's more comfortable with. Incandescent rage. She turns to Steve and the other heroes and is like, I am going to murder the shit out of you! But before Amora can make good on this threat, a voice filled with righteous anger booms out and says, Not if I murder the shit out of you first! Everyone stares in shock to see who has just spoken. It is Valkyrie. Valkyrie's soul is finally back in Valkyrie's body. Val is like, Once Barbara Norris cleared out of this vessel, my soul shot into it from across the cosmos. And now, Enchantress, prepare to face the vengeance of the Valkyrie. To be continued. Dang. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going okay. It felt a little weird to start this episode without clapping to sync up the tracks. I know. But you can still clap if you want. Oh, no need. It's just, it's nice to be uh, back here recording in person. Agreed. Do you enjoy the thunderstorm this morning? It was spectacular. The barbecue that's on my back deck is on little wheels. Uh-huh. And I was staring out the window, drinking some coffee, going, wow, that's a powerful wind. And then the barbecue slowly just, like, slid a few feet across the deck. And it was one of those things that it happened slow enough and seemed so implausible that you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was fine. It was just the wind. Good. You? Uh, I didn't have any barbecue-related mishaps related to the thunderstorm, but I did enjoy it. Good. Would you like to talk about a comic book? We should probably get started. It's a doozy. It is indeed. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? Oh man, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Which surprised me a little bit. I feel like I say that often that I'm surprised that either I liked or didn't like them. I'm mm -hmm. just easily surprised. That's fair. Okay. But tons of words, like just a lot of exposition and a ton of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Art was okay and i think maybe we can talk about how many cooks were in the kitchen and who was doing what but... yeah it is another issue in which there were once again four different inkers working on it and once again a different combination of four inkers than we've seen before this is actually the first published work of an inker named hillary barta this is his first comic book he went on to have a fairly long career but the art is inconsistent at best. There are places where it is really beautiful, and then there are places where it is significantly less so. And yeah, we can definitely go into more detail on that. Yeah, I was curious about that, too, because the description of what I always 
I guess think of as the penciler. Mm-hmm. Didn't say that. It said like what is it? Plotting or layouts or something? I think probably layouts. The plotting. There is an additional writer on this as well, mm-hmm. uh, which was I believe co-plotted by Mark Gruenwald, who would have been fairly new to the editorship position at Marvel at this time. He had been an assistant editor for a long time. But I think some of the more continuity-heavy elements of the plot, probably relating to Valkyrie, were the result of his input on that. Or possibly there was like some last-minute directional changes that happened in the title. I don't know to what extent the Lord of Love was supposed to be Jesus, and then there was a direction change, and now he's not Jesus. But he's definitely a lot less Jesus in this episode than he was in the previous one. Definitely did away with all the little, I don't know what you'd call those, companion animals? Mm-hmm. Familiars? Yeah, he's no longer chilling out in a forest. Mm-hmm. He no longer, I mean, he may or may not still have shoulder-length brown hair, but they covered it up with a hood this time. He still got the long white robe. But, uh... Definitely different depiction of the guy, and yeah, there is just a ton going on in this comic book, in a way that I think normally I would be off-put by, and I do think that this probably would have benefited from being broken up into maybe two issues, because there is a lot of complicated plot happening in it. But yeah, like you for the most part, I really enjoyed most of it. There were some thematic elements that I had issues with, and there were some character portrayals that I had problems with. But overall, I don't know if it was necessarily good, but I did enjoy it. I think part of my excitement was, hey, they're really going to explain things and wrap this up. And then, speaking of the editor, maybe being two editors on this, what was maybe my favorite bit of exposition, which is that little box on, I think, page three that just basically said, hey, um, trust us. It's just way too complicated to explain. (laughs) Yeah, they really glossed over a lot of the whole Ed Hannigan storyline where Valkyrie or possibly Barbara Norris, I think it was Barbara Norris, had hooked up with the Asgardian god of biathlons who dressed like a street shark and wanted to take over for death. Mm -hmm. That's the part that they just put the little box in the corner that just says, just don't fucking bother. Mm -hmm. It's, It's fine. Which, yeah, I did kind of appreciate. I don't think there was more than one editor. It's still just, I believe, edited by Al Milgram. Okay. But there is also the editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter, at this point, who was sometimes more hands-on with his approach than previous people in his position had been. There is a certain, I don't know, intimacy to that sort of exposition, which I think normally, like, if I was a brand new reader, I would have been like, what the fuck? (laughs) But because I've been reading these for so long, I'm like, all right, I got you. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. I will say it is weird to be tackling this issue, which is unpacking the complicated and sometimes contradictory origin of the character Valkyrie at the same time as we're doing that with Donna Troy in Mm -hmm. the Teen Titans book. In certain ways, there are parallels between those two characters in terms of there just being batshit levels of complicated continuity issues that surround those characters. Yeah, I agree. So in the outset, too, you said there were some of the character portrayals that you weren't super excited about. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Barbara Norris a big part of that in this one for you? Yes. Damn. She gets 
so little agency all of the time. It yeah. drives me bonkers. Like, at least that is consistent. I mean, that's not an at least. It's bad that it's as <laughs> consistent that it is. But good lord, they just really do not want to let that lady have any agency. The main thing is the way that that is dealt with and the portrayal of... I keep thinking of him as Jesus, despite the fact that he is the lord of love or the physical embodiment of love in this. He's a real fucking dick at the end. He is, and also, I guess you probably covered it in the synopsis, but like this idea that the Enchantress encountered him by doing some mystical Tinder. <laughs> he's like, swipe, swipe, swipe. <laughs> Ooh, you <laughs> will work just fine. But then he's like, no, no, baby, you gotta go get this rose because... I don't know, you get around too much or whatever. And the idea we had last time was the Rose of Purity was this a, a virgin thing, right? Like she needed to mm -hmm. be virginal. But then he goes to Barbara Norris. He's like, hey, baby, I want you instead. Do you think he was just messing with the Enchantress the whole time? I like to think in this that the Rose of Purity thing was an idea that came from the Enchantress. Mm. That it was born of her own insecurities relating to her past. Because I don't think they're trying to make halloween store jesus be that much of a dick as i am reading him you do also get the idea in this i think you said that she had been kind of swiping on mystical tinder mm -hmm. i think the idea presented in this is that she in a sense created him like basically she had been going through tinder and was just like nah fuck all of these assholes i'm gonna create my own being just made out of pure love and goodness because that's the only person good enough for me and then she kind of convalesced all of the essences of goodness in the universe into a single person and then they boned down a whole bunch and she's like oh if i want to be with this person i need to get rid of all the shit that i had in the past the whole idea of the rose of purity thing and yeah i think it's easy to equate that with virginity like basically she feels like she needs to be a born-again virgin mm -hmm. to be good enough for him and then yeah at the end when he's just like Nah, you kind of suck, so I'm going to go and live the rest of my life in a fuckfest with this lady who I've never spoken to before by, sorry you suck so much. Yeah, and I think that is the first and last bit of dialogue that we get from this character too, right? It's never explicit that he's like, hey, right. you need to go get this rose and, you know, right. get yourself right if you want any of this sweet, sweet jesus stuff yeah i think that had all been inferred i believe by the enchantress but yeah i think that is his spo first spoken dialogue in any of this and if he could speak before or maybe he has been talking to enchantress it seems like if he has issues with her behavior he could bring that up at some point and not just be like oh yeah i know it turns out you're evil so fuck off yeah, and that's why I sort of had this idea of maybe he was almost malevolent in a way because he's like stringing her along right up until the very end where he's like, oh, actually, no, you're bad. Bye-bye. Yeah, it seems like a real fucking dick move. And I think in the previous issue, I had gotten the impression that he was going to be some kind of a malevolent force, you know, mm -hmm. that like he was manipulating the Enchantress rather than, I guess in this, it just kind of being a misunderstanding between the two of them. But, I mean, I feel like if he's the embodiment of love, he should be the embodiment of unconditional love. Could have been like, hey, you don't need to do these things. You don't need the rose of purity. I know that you've done things that I wouldn't necessarily approve of in the past in terms of, you know, being evil. 
I wish that the comic book hadn't conflated that with her being promiscuous, which I really think it kind of has. Mm -hmm. But he could be like, hey, I, I know you've done some fucked up things in the past, but you have my love and support and you want to be a good person now. You don't need the Rose of Purity to do that. I accept you for what you've done and for what you're trying to be now. Yeah. You know, you that's more what you would expect from the embodiment of love, and especially if he's supposed to be Jesus. Like, forgiveness was kind of his thing. Yeah. In a way, one of the themes in this book is immoral ambiguity, right? Like, the defenders get split up into two teams, basically, like, mm -hmm. team morals and team, oh, you guys are not doing a good thing. <laughs> and... I thought that was a pretty interesting idea to explore, like Patsy's wrestling with this, like, I want to save my friend, but I gotta sacrifice this mentally ill lady to do so, but her quality of life is gonna be bad if mm -hmm. she's back in her body, so maybe that makes it okay, but it still doesn't feel great, and so, yeah, maybe the Lord of Love thing was also exploring this idea of, like, it's not black and white, right? Yeah. I think it's tough to do that if you have a character who is textually the embodiment of love. Which just backfired, is my point, though, right? Because Enchantress is like, that's what I'm going to manifest. Like, everything's perfect. Right. And, ooh, that didn't go so good. No, it, it didn't. It's an interesting issue, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the thing about, like, yeah, Patsy being conflicted. I thought that was actually handled really, really well. Like, that was one of the things that I think this issue did in a really smart way, is when the team breaks up into the two teams, you don't have it be that one of them's good and one of them's bad. You can see the logic of the characters that Patsy sides with, to an extent. There is still some, like, pretty horrendous ableism going on in terms of dealing with Barbara Norris as a person suffering from a mental illness. And that it's like, well, it's okay if we blink her out of existence because, you know, it sucks to be her. That is super fucked up. It is. It does make you think, okay, if I'm in a situation where I have to make some awful choice and I don't have Steve's ability to get into all my friends' heads and see what choice they're going to make, which yeah. we can talk about later, what the fuck do you do? Yeah. Well, That's tough. And I think it was really intelligent to make Patsy the focal character on this. She is... A character who we've mostly seen in a kind of lighthearted comedic context. And then seeing her deal with grief and loss and the desperation born of that. And just like, no, I want my friend back. I love this person and I care about them. And I don't care if it fucks over other people because I, I need this. It's well handled. And that she eventually decides that, no, it's not worth that level of sacrifice. I can't deal with it. It seems earned the way they go about it. I mean, obviously, it's in a weird context where it's on another planet with a magic rose and an alien with some tentacles coming out of his tummy who just loves to dance. But the emotions that it's dealing with seemed really, really grounded. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, it was surprisingly nuanced. Yeah, I think so. Which is why the Sylvester Stallone movie that this comic reminds me of oh, is Copland. I didn't see Copland. That. A surprisingly toned-down, dramatic film. Sylvester Stallone plays a small-town sheriff in a town where most of the population, or a significant portion of the population, is police officers who work in New York City and then commute to this suburb. And he finds out about corruption and takes them down and stuff. It's actually a pretty good movie if memory serves. It's been a while since I've seen it. But what reminds me about this comic in it is that the female lead in that movie is uh, Janine Garofalo, 
a performer who I mostly know from her comedy, Mm -hmm. who does surprisingly well in a dramatic role. Hmm. Much like Patsy does in this. That just uh, pop into your head when you were reading it, or did you oh, have to yeah. work on it? <laughs> oh no, no, I definitely had to work on that. Frankly, this this uh, new category started to be a bit of a stretch, but uh... yeah, I stopped googling Sylvester Stallone movies a couple issues ago. Oh, <laughs> that's fair. Letting it roll, but it, I do get some kind of Copland vibes from it. Mm. So, uh, right. yeah. What did you think of the title of this issue and how it related to the material inside? I should know this after reading a thousand comics on this show, but when you say title, do you mean the title on the, the cover or the inside page? The inside one? page. Okay, and that was uh, Waste, Wasteland. Right? No, a lot of people think that. It's actually Baba O'Reilly. <laughs> Such a good song. Seriously, though, uh, what did you think of the title <laughs> Wasteland just and how it related to... <laughs> I can't sing. I don't have a good singing voice, but <laughs> really got that in my head now. I don't know. I mean, it seemed like the team that opted to go get the rose was going to have to go through some really, you know, arduous Mm -hmm. task that was filled with danger. And it turned out it wasn't a wasteland at all. It just looked that way. If you had bad thoughts in your head. Yeah. One of the characters, I believe Enchantress at some point describes something as being a wasteland of the heart. I think more than that, it is supposed to be a nod to T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland in that it starts off with characters at a funeral, but then it turns out that the real funeral is a funeral for society or something. It's been a long time since I've read The Wasteland. And when I did read it, honestly, like, the larger themes were not what stuck out to me in it as much as just like, oh, this guy's really good at fucking language. Like, mm-hmm. the word choices and stuff like that was what stuck out at me more than the themes that it was expressing. But I think it is interesting and it does play into kind of a Marvel Comics at this point in history tradition of trying to put in nods, whether they're earned or not, to more highbrow literary work. That was something that Roy Thomas did a ton. And I think that is maybe something that Demetrius was going for in that, like, oh, we're building this thing that's off of a funeral. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. His word choices are great in a lot of cases. This particular run that we've been reading has been one of the, the few times where I, like, not like I have a huge vocabulary or whatever, but I've, I've had to go look up words, like the one in this that meant, I wrote it down, colorful and sparkly corkuskating. Corkuskating? Corkuskating. That's a fun word, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was not familiar with that either. Good one. But yeah, there have been a bunch of those that have been in here. And sometimes it is to the benefit of the book, and it, like, makes the narrative more interesting. And then sometimes there are times when I think, Demetrius just comes off as showing off a little bit too much. I think when you use lucubrations more than once (laughs) in one 20-something page book, that comes off a little heavy. I agree. Yeah, overall, I do think, though, that this was fun prose. There was a lot of it, and with Enchantress's speech in particular, the fake Elizabethan shit, it can go either way with me. A little bit of it is fun, but... After a certain point, either I am able to acclimatize to it, or it starts to really get on my nerves. And this got on my nerves a little bit. There was a few that, you know, it's an older comic, and the pages weren't, like, the copy wasn't great. Mm -hmm. And then that, with all these and these and those on top of it. Yeah, it could be a a bit of a slog sometimes getting Mm -hmm. through that. Especially the really exposition-dense pages where Val is revealing parts of her backstory. 
Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the Enchantress's speech, there was one phrase. At one point she says, odds blood. And I was like, that's a weird thing for you to be saying. Like, that's an old medieval term that you would use as short for God's blood, because you don't want to say the word God. And so it would be odds blood or just blood. And that's where Zounds came from, too. That was a portmanteau of God's wounds, but you don't want to say God uh, about oh, the shit. wounds that Jesus sustained on the cross. So, I mean, I can see where they would want to put, like, Elizabethan phrases in her mouth. But first of all, she's a god. So it's not like she would be averse to saying the word God. And second of all, I think the idea of sacrilege goes out the window when you're fucking ersatz Jesus. Yeah, that's fair. It was funny. When I read that phrase, I I didn't have the background or the uh, intellectual fortitude to look it up. So (laughs) I just assumed it was a... uh... A typo? I was like, she probably meant Odin's blood. Uh, that, that would seems, actually make sense. That sure. seems like something she would say, but okay, good to know. Odd's blood. Don't want to say God, but you want to swear. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, it was more commonly abbreviated to Zblood. Zblood? Zblood or Splood. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds that, like you're making that up. I know. I'm, and I'm not saying I'm necessarily <laughs> not wrong, but I'm not making it up. Okay. I might be mistaken, but okay. yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about Valkyrie and her complicated origin and the ways that this issue tries to reconcile it. Because I mentioned earlier that it is in a way analogous to Donna Troy, and I think that analogy actually holds pretty well. Because she's a character who, when she was first introduced, was not her own person in a way that later a different writer decided that now she just kind of was. Mm-hmm. She first showed up in Avengers number 83 as someone who the Enchantress was dressing up as. Mm-hmm. The idea behind her appearance in that, it was written by Roy Thomas. It is a very fun issue. It is a super fucked up issue because basically the premise is, what if there was a feminist on the Avengers? Wouldn't that just fuck everything up? And at that point, her catchphrase was up against the wall male chauvinist pigs. Mm-hmm. Which is a fucking rad catchphrase. But there is the reveal at the end, no, this isn't actually a person. This is just Enchantress having a fun at everybody. Yep. Then she shows up a little while later in the pages of The Incredible Hulk. I think it's The Incredible Hulk 143. And at that point, the Enchantress shoves a sorcerously created personality of Valkyrie into the body of Samantha Parrington. What's weird about that is that it is the same author. That is also Roy Thomas. Mm. And to a similar effect. That issue was a little bit less fun for me. Valkyrie's appearance in it was fun. But he was, I talked about, shit, what's the word that I'm looking for? Not prestigious, but like a phony version of prestigious. Phony version of prestigious. Like uh, somebody's being too highfalutin or trying to be highfalutin. Hmm. Yeah, it seems you like know the word should, that I mean? Like there, there should is, be a like, word It begins with a P, I'm pretty sure, too. Uh, pedantic? Like that. I don't know. Asshole. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hey there, this is Editor Hub here in the future. The word I was looking for was pretentious. Pretentious. Although I do like Corey's suggestion of asshole. I talked earlier about Roy Thomas's penchant and sometimes Demetrius, I think, veers in this direction of trying to be unnecessarily highbrow or uh like pseudo intellectual Mm -hmm. and that whole issue was a homage to thomas wolf 
And Thomas Wolfe, I believe, appeared briefly in the comic book. But in a lot of ways, not a lot of great messaging behind that issue. But that version of Valkyrie, I thought, was really fun. And she went toe-to-toe with the Hulk and then got zapped and Enchantress took that Valkyrie-ness away. Mm-hmm. Then when she shows up in The Defenders, it's again she's created by Enchantress. But at that point, I think it's Defenders number four, written by Steve Englehart. And it is much more an idea of, no, there is this personality called the Valkyrie who has her own set of superpowers and her own personality. And she is inhabiting the body of Barbara Norris right now because the Enchantress put a spell that did that. And then you get all of the complicated nonsense with... Barbara Norris is trying to reconcile her personality with Valkyrie, and at first it seemed like they were trying to integrate the two personalities into a single being, and then they were like, no, it turns out Barbara Norris is just bad and crazy in capital letters. Where's my wife? Yeah, and Jack Norris. (laughs) Oh, man. She's in Niflheim. Go get her, buddy. And now, oh God, now there's an even more complicated answer for Jack Norris when he yells, where's my wife? She's out in space somewhere fucking Halloween store Jesus Mm -hmm. forever. Yep. But in this issue, we get a created backstory for why there is that free form personality slash power set of the Valkyrie Brunhilde and why Enchantress gets access to it. And I suspect, I do not know the details behind this, but given what a continuity buff he was, I would not be surprised if that was Mark Gruenwald's contribution to the story. Mm. I think it's an interesting backstory, and I think it's interesting the ways in which it parallels or perhaps informs Enchantress's subsequent relationship with Jesus, or Lord of Love. Mm -hmm. It seemed as though there was at least the subtext of a romantic relationship between Val and the Enchantress. Were you picking that up? Oh, gosh. No, I I didn't really get that. It seemed like a pretty one-way, like, I want to have a powerful puppet deal. I can see that. Maybe I'm reading more into it than was intended. But I saw it that Enchantress kind of seduces her a little bit, it seems like. Maybe in a platonic sense. But just like from the facial expressions and from the dialogue... It seemed like they did have that sort of a relationship going on, or at least I was reading that into it, whether that was intended or not. And then you have the point where Valkyrie's like, nah, I found out that you're a bad person who likes bad things. And Enchantress is like, shit, then I gotta shut this down. I kind of saw, I knew this would happen eventually. And that's the point where she seals off Valkyrie's body from personality and can tamper with the personality in different ways Mm -hmm. and so then that's retconned into being where she gets the power to project this valkyrie personality onto people because she had been surreptitiously sipping bits of val's life force or Mm -hmm. something throughout the course of their relationship yeah also a dick move (laughs) definitely a dick move but then you have that idea though that when she is with lord of love that who I have been in the past has caused people to reject me and shut me off. I don't want that to happen with you, so I'm going to get the Rose of Purity and make myself a good person, Mm -hmm. even if I use nefarious means to go about that. I don't know. I thought that was an interesting parallel. Yeah. Yeah. God, that logic is so circular, though. (laughs) Well, it didn't work out so great for her. Mm -hmm. 
But it is the kind of thing that you would hope that, like, the person would say something about. It wasn't like any of that was a secret. She's like, no, I'm going to go get the Rose of Whoa, 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 slow your roll. I don't want to be like Jesus or whatever, but (laughs) maybe don't do that. Yeah. Part of love. He's real shit, yo. The whole thing where he's just like, yeah, then Barbara Norris. Come here, you sexy ghost. (laughs) Now we're going to get basically super married forever. And shoot ourselves off into space. Goodbye! She doesn't say anything either. She just, she just like, extracts her soul and kisses her ghost face and off they go. Yeah, the, like, the last time that character had any agency at all was when she sacrificed her life to save the universe. And at every point since then, she has been fucked over so hard by this comic book. First, like, she gets trapped in this universe with Glenn, the nameless one, mm-hmm. and then decides to become his lover if there was any decision involved in that. But she ended up going with that idea, and then Steve's like, oh no, I'm taking you out of here. Mm-hmm. And that was what no. like, snapped her mind, made her just Say speak lots of O's. in... Yeah, uh, A's, actually. I A's? Believe. Was it A's? Yeah, it was just a long string of capital oh, A's, yeah. and maybe okay. E's. Um, the important thing is just long strings of capital vowels. Mm-hmm. Because Steve didn't ask and was just like, no, I'm taking you out of here for your own good. And then she gets shunted off into first the corner of Bab's mind and then off to Niflheim. Like, her whole arc is defined by her lack of agency. And then that is just underlined when it ends, I believe, with Jesus just being like, well, let's get you out of your body. You and me are going to be lovers forever in the cosmos. Bye! Yeah, and the thing that didn't land quite right with that was, I'm under the impression we're supposed to be like, oh, finally, something <laughs> good has happened to Barbara Norris. And honestly, in the context of the other shit that has happened to her, it like, in relation to it, it kind of is, but still, just, like, well, we don't let have, her have a say in it. That's the thing. We, it's, we don't have much to go on, right? It's like in that last panel where her ghost face is kissing his blank face. You're like, well, she seems kind of into it the yeah. way she's drawn, I yeah, guess. Yeah, we're just left so. to go with, like, well, I guess she seems like she isn't fighting this. Uh-huh. So, happy ending? Right. That Yeah, that didn't land quite right. With no, me. no. Which... Is a shame because there was a lot in this issue that was really fun and certainly really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I guess good job wrapping up her arc. Yeah, and now Valkyrie gets her body back, which is nice, and she's wearing her old outfit again, which is nice, and she's pissed. That was a cool scene. That was a good cliffhanger. Like, these don't always often end up, like, they try and end on a cliffhanger. Right. I can't wait till the next month's issue comes out. But this one, I was like, ooh, I want to see this fight. And also, I want to know how the rest of the gang is going to get off that planet of, like, the Lotus Eaters or whatever. Yeah, so about that, speaking of continuity, how the heck did Dragon Fang get from Patsy's hands on the Lotus Eaters planet to Niflheim into actual Val's hands? I do not know that at all. That that part doesn't make any goddamn sense. I could buy her <laughs> spirit getting sucked out of Dragon Fang and into her own body. That could be like a instantaneous thing, like the transfer of monarchy or whatever. You know, like when a king dies, the next person is instantly king no matter where they are. Yeah, interdimensionally. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like an interdimensional monarchy transfer. Okay, uh, including the sword. 
not including the sword. Like, mm-hmm. I could see her her soul getting sucked out and put into her new body, but it seems like the physical sword should still be stuck back on that planet. Like, she wasn't the sword. The sword was a vessel that was carrying her. Right. That part doesn't really make sense. Another thing that I didn't even realize didn't make sense until, like, well after finishing the issue, what was Steve's plan? There is no way in hell that he could have foreseen that events would unfold the way in which they did. Well, and he's clearly surprised that Valkyrie's back at the end. So it wasn't like... I will bet you money (laughs) in the next issue. He's like, well, it's good to see my plan succeeded. (laughs) Oh, totally. Totally. But clearly that is not his plan. Why did he want to go to this place? It is presented when he's like, oh, thank goodness, you three other defenders and Spider-Man, who's here for some goddamn reason still, are not too swayed by sorrow to make the right moral decision. Because I've been in touch with the Lord of Love, and he let me know what's going on. So I can get where the, the, like, okay, no, I actually know where the Lord of Love is so that we can go there. What's the plan after that? That's probably gets back into the dickishness of the Lord of Love. You think he called Steve and was like, yo, I am going to mess with Enchantress so bad, Steve. You're going to want to be here to see this shit. She's going to be pissed when I leave with Babs. Yeah, I think maybe. Um, Like, all of that works except for the fact that you still do have Steve being incredibly surprised that Val is okay at the end. It did not seem like he had a plan to rescue Val. Being charitable, maybe as much of a plan as he had was, you guys, uh, we couldn't tell Patsy and the others this because we need Enchantress to be distracted, but I know where she is, so we can go there and we'll figure out something. That was how I read it. Like, I know where they are. We'll come up with a plan when we get there. We always do. Look how good it worked out with Kyle. And we went to rescue him. I'll dress us up as some centurions when we get there. No, Steve. Steve, there's really no call for that. (laughs) I said I'll dress us as centurions. Man, the other thing about this, too, was, okay, so ostensibly the other four are angry and having them there would somehow mess with the plan unfolding. But this premise of, well, I looked into their hearts... And uh, they just wouldn't be down. So I'm going to go let them fuck off to wherever and do whatever with no way to connect us all back together again. Yeah. That doesn't make any damn sense. And also, again, I think we've talked about there's very few instances where it's cool to poke around in somebody's mind or heart. Yeah. And he just does willy-nilly. He he really does. And he is supposed to be the one that we definitely are like, oh, he's making the right choice. Patsy is making the wrong choice for maybe the right reasons. Or for understandable reasons. The person that really seems like the odd person out in this book, and I really can't figure out why they are in the comic, is Spider-Man. What's he doing there? I get that he's still left over from the funeral. He decided to stick around. But for, like, plot reasons, unless they just wanted to have it be even teams. I think I think that's why. I think he needed four, four good guys and four... Conflicted guys. Yeah, questionable folks. I guess. It just seemed like an odd choice. And if you're going to have Spider-Man being a guest star in your book for no reason, put him on the fucking cover. He's your moneymaker. He's not even on the cover of the issue. Because at first I was like, oh, they just wanted to be able to put Spider-Man on the cover to boost sales. There's no way you would know that Spider-Man was in this if you're just looking at it. 
Yeah, he doesn't really do anything other than say, like, sorry guys, I agree with Steve. Yeah, and also, the Marx Brothers. I like them. <laughs> yeah, and then he quacks like a duck. And then, uh... I was a Harpo. A Harpo oh, gotcha, gotcha, thing. blowing the bicycle horn. Yeah. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. And then he quacks like a duck. Right, right. You know, um, soup. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his presence was kind of baffling to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. It is they just wanted to have even teams, which I, I don't think they needed to. It could have just been the three of them. Maybe he'll do something cool next issue. No way to know. It's not like I'm Steve over here. <laughs> yeah, you can't look into his heart. Part of my plan. It's all part of the plan. Everything. I'm ineffable. You know? Whatever. Don't, don't try to F me. Can't be done! Speaking of plays on words... There was a cute one where Hulk gets confused about Hocus Pocus. That was pretty... That was a good one. I, I don't know if he was too. just that trying to fun. zing him, or it was actual Hulk ignorance. Probably the latter. I think that was actual Hulk ignorance. I don't see Hulk doing a lot of intentional wordplay. No. But yeah, Patsy says something... It's Patsy, right? Says something about Hocus Pocus, mm-hmm. and Hulk is like, Nobody should poke us! Don't poke the Hulk! Yep, don't do it. That guy. Hulk was a fucking delight in this issue. Very happy to have him back. Yeah. I mean, I know that his penchant for action was necessary to propel the story forward. I would have liked to seen the gang chill out a little bit more in Paradise and eat some of those mushrooms or whatever. I guess. It it is weird that you are kind of at that point rooting for them to go to the land of the Lotus Eaters or whatever it is, where it's like, no, 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 it's cool. Just chill out with these fucking aliens. and. Take it easy, man. Namor's just like, look, they've got running water. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, everyone else is like, oh, this planet sucked, but now it's pretty chill. Let's all hang out. And Hulk is the one who keeps his eyes on the prize and is like, mm, seems cool, but uh, look, we're here to steal that rose. And then starts mixing it up with the goofiest menace in the world. This is my favorite unnamed character, perhaps to date. The two aliens in this need names. I, I I feel it's a real missed opportunity to not give them one. Maybe we'll learn their names in the next issue. I don't know. Because I guess the rest of the Defenders are ostensibly stuck here for a little while. But uh, I love these guys, too. They seem really rad. Mm-hmm. Interesting backstory. Fun color combinations. Mm-hmm. Tentacles growing out of his tummy. Couple extra eyeballs, which he doesn't have on the cover. They're there, they're just really tiny, and they're below his regular eyes. Those are definitely a last-minute addition. Yeah, that was not in the original drawing, having that tiny extra set of eyes under there. I didn't even see them at first. Man, can you imagine what pizzazz you could add to a dance routine if you had two eight-foot-long tentacles sprouting out from between your navel and your nipples? (sighs) I mean, that's the dream. It's not. It's not. It would be <laughs> awful. No, but... you could add a ton of pizzazz to your dance moves, though. Especially, look, it's not even like they would get in the way of the breakaway pants because they're coming out of the torso. Oh, yeah. No, it's good placement. It, yeah. It wouldn't have occurred to me to put them there. You could even still potentially wear a belly shirt over that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty tight look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, that goofy-ass alien. I, it'll, it'll come up later, but when we first meet him, that panel made me... <laughs> happier than any panel I have seen in a very long time. Oh yeah, I chuckle every time yeah. I see it. Every time I was leaving through the comic, I would get to that and would just be like, <laughs> that guy! 
Look at him go. What a treat. I know we've talked a lot about the Lord of Love and what a dick he is, Mm -hmm. but there's the added betrayal and just, like, incongruity when Enchantress is like, but but I taught you to fuck. It's on page 20. At least that was how I interpreted it. Beloved, please, surely the time thou hast spent in this form hath shown thee the importance of companionship. The need for other souls to walk beside. Canst thou go back to the loneliness of what thou wert? Canst thou turn their back on all that the Enchantress has to offer thee? And that that's the point where then he's like, Yeah, but then there's this other lady sitting right here. Mm-hmm. Rough stuff from the Lord of Love there. Yeah, harsh breakup. I-, I think on some level, Enchantress should have known that he was pranking her. Because he gave her the clue that his initials are LOL. <laughs> I did think that. Like, when I was writing down the abbreviations, I kept writing LOL and just being like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. Yep. Granted, that was probably before that was a, a thing. Maybe that's where it came from. Well, probably. Yeah. Hmm. Corey, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into the minutiae? There's just one last bit. And I, you're good with voices and impressions and everything. There's one bit of exposition i think it's on page three where they describe son of satan is having a a voice as gentle as a breeze and i was like i don't know it's like marvin gay maybe but i don't see damon sounding like no. what is a voice that is as gentle as a breeze that is also the son of satan's voice that's rough because i always fi- picture him having like a lot of gravitas so gentle gra- um morgan freeman He's got a lot of gravitas, but a very, like, gentle and soothing It's soothing. Yeah. But I don't think that's what Damon Hellstrom sounds like. I cannot picture Damon Hellstrom sounding like Morgan Freeman. And I also don't have a Morgan Freeman impression. But uh, maybe that's what they're going for? Bella Lugosi slash Morgan Freeman. Oh, man. I love Bella Lugosi. You know he was a union organizer back in Hungary, I think it was? I did not. Yeah. Hmm. Rick, would you sing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? Well, normally this isn't one of the more challenging categories, but it was for me in this issue. Let's talk about fashion. Okay, sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion do you want to focus on? I just had the aliens. There's the aliens. That is the main one. Uh, you get the blue alien. We need to give this guy a name. What do you think he should be? Okay. Nah, it doesn't quite work. I was thinking Popeye because he's got four arms, but two of those arms are tentacles. So it's uh... not quite Popeye. Uh, but he's Popeye adjacent. Let's call him Poopeye after Popeye's. No. no. No, Popeye him. did have a nephew named Poopeye. I know, but that's going to confuse people. Oh, those, those, yeah, you're right. Is there a Trigon joke in there? Because he's got four eyes. But okay. he's cool, so he's like a bygone. Yeah. Blue. He's blue. He's blue. He's got tentacles. Um, Gary. Yeah, all right. So, Gary is wearing a pair of He-Man trunks with a studded gold belt. Yeah, kind of leather, leather diapery. Yeah, le- they're, leather they're a little baggy. Leather cutoffs, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
Oh man, do you think anyone ever made jorts out of leather pants? I was going to say, what would you call leather jorts? Do you think like maybe at some point David Bowie was just like, man, it's hot this summer in Germany. I'm just going to cut the legs off these things. I don't have any shorts. So is a, what is it in medieval? A jerkin? Is that your leather? I think that would be a top. That's a top? I think so. I might be wrong about that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, what's the word for jorts if it's leather? Yeah, I don't have a good name for that. I, and I, I'm not willing. Like, I'm not willing to Google jerkin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because it's like chaps that are short. They're shorts. Yeah, but I mean, I, as far as I can tell, they do have an ass, which makes them not chaps. Hmm. Good point. So I think they're just uh, lorts. Lorts. Yeah, leather jorts. Yeah, he's wearing some lorts uh, with a uh, yep. gold-studded like future belt, kinda. And he's got some uh, kind of matching gauntlets or some leather twisted around his wrists. Mm-hmm. From the cover, it was confusing to me because he's got the tentacles, he's blue, he's got a big beard, and he's grabbing Son of Satan's trident away from him. I thought they were going for like a Poseidon type thing with him, mm. but they clearly aren't. He's just a mm-hmm. nameless alien. And then the other alien is just wearing a fairly plain blue dress. Mm-hmm. Like, slip dress, kind of tough to tell, somewhere in between the two. And she is just a pretty red lady with very large eyes. Mm -hmm. Like, Jericho-esque lemur eyes. But less creepy. Less creepy, yeah. So, that is the main fashion that we get that's different in this. We do get also Valkyrie in her old, new outfit. Mm -hmm. It's not the one that has all the extra gold on it. It's got some gold on it, though. I feel like this is her f- the first iteration of her new outfit, and it's one that I like that I think she didn't get for long enough. Uh, it's more of a, like, swashbuckling spacesuit, like a white bodysuit with some gold boots. I think it's a good look. Far more practical than the uh, metallic boob armor. Yeah, the Madonna cones. Mm-hmm. We also get from the flashback scene, there was some fun tavern fashion in ancient Asgard. Specifically, on that one dude with the big mustache, his mustache is out of hand, and I kind of love it. He's wearing some kind of a purple cloak with some bondage wraps around his arms, and he's macking on a lady who seems very into it, who has Princess Leia hair. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite outfit maybe in the issue, though, is there's a dude in the background who has a Viking hat with little nubbin daredevil-esque horns on it. And he's wearing a short-sleeved red tunic. And mm-hmm. I just think that's a fun look. Yeah. Very Daredevil-ish. Slash Asgardian. Yeah. And there's some dude he's talking to that looks like he's probably the king of something. We're in yellow. The king in yellow? Oh, is this, does this the tie in? The worst thing ever written? Mm-hmm. Could be. Mm. We don't know. Corey... Every issue of a Defenders comic has a best defender and also a worst offender. In this issue, who did you have as your best defender and who did you have as your worst offender? Yeah, I I actually struggled with best a a little bit on this one. Ultimately, for me, Val was the winner. This issue deals a lot with morality and, you know, if you're just going to go on, like, who made the best choices Mm -hmm. for everybody, that's got to be Val. She basically said, hey, don't fuck up the aliens flower planet uh on account of me and also that would leap out of existence babs that would be bad yeah i agree i think that you did have 
all of the characters eventually arriving at that realization, but the fact that Valkyrie is the one who has the most to lose, I mean, potentially literally her life, mm-hmm. makes it, I, I think, be clear that she is the one who is making the most moral choice in this, I guess. We talked about the unnecessary self-sacrifice that Kyle made a couple issues ago. It seems like Valkyrie is doing a actually necessary act of self-sacrifice. And Wait, good for so, her. so you're saying Val is making better choices than Kyle? Yeah, oh. I know. Weird, huh? huh? It is interesting the extent to which there is like a bait and switch pulled on the morning of Kyle, I feel like. Like, there is no time that the comic really wants to spend on mourning the loss of Kyle. Because you get like a page of that, and then Valkyrie dies. And then everybody's super upset that Valkyrie died, and I guess Kyle did too. And then Valkyrie comes back the next issue. And so it's just like, nothing for Kyle. Which is fair. I guess it it is for me, because I didn't really like his character that much. Mm-hmm. But boy... I imagine there was a fair amount of readers. Like, he was around for a long time. Yeah. I think some people liked the idea of a strong-at-night guy. Yeah, I mean, he had the strength of two strong men. He was rich. Uh, almost half the time. Mm-hmm. He was very rich. Mm-hmm. And um, he bought a very expensive chair. That's true. Yeah. Conversely, who did you have as your worst offender? Well, for the aforementioned, in my view, unnecessary mind-poking about and executive decision-making, which didn't include, as far as I can tell, an actual plan, other than we'll figure it out when we get there, Yep, I went with, uh, with Steve. I think that's a fair choice. I went back and forth on this a couple of times. Initially, I was actually going with Son of Satan. I feel like of the members of Team Bad Decision, he had the least reason to be there. Like, you had the core team of Patsy, Hulk, and Namor, who were really super tight with both Valkyrie and, to a lesser extent, Kyle. Mm -hmm. They're in the throes of grief. They are not necessarily making the best decisions at that point. Son of Satan knew Val a little bit, but it wasn't like he was that tight with her. Or with Kyle, it seemed like he was there because the lady he had a crush on was making a bad decision. And so he was like, yeah, I guess I'll go along with that too. And that is certainly a very identifiable motive. (laughs) (laughs) I had no problem seeing myself in that position, having done things like that. Never ruined a planet, never killed anybody. Mm -hmm. But I'm not saying I wouldn't have. Yeah, I I think he hit the nail on the head. But, ultimately, given the type of comic book this is and the Freebird rule associated with who qualifies as a defender, Lord of Love. I keep forgetting the Freebird rule. He's got superpowers. He, I, I mean, I think Halloween Store Jesus is, in fact, a superhero of sorts. He is on the side of the defenders, and what a fuck nut. No offense, actually. No, offense intended. (laughs) Yeah, Lord of Love, real douche. Just really did not appreciate the way that he treated, frankly, Enchantress, and also Barbara Norris. Sorry, Lord of Love, but you're the worst offender. Yeah, 
No, I don't. I don't think you need to uh, apologize for that. It is just weird that I guess maybe it's due to the era of the comic that you know we're supposed to feel good about it, right? Like, yeah. Like, oh, Enchantress got her comeuppance. What a gendered insult, lady. <laughs> you yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that is supposed to be our takeaway, and it really this issue generated so much more sympathy for Enchantress than I think it intended to. And yeah, the the very idea that you could have a creature who is made of pure love show so little compassion for someone who he had purported to be in love with. Yeah, fuck that guy. Also, what a bad idea on Enchantress's part, like, if you want to have an exclusive, I guess, monogamous relationship with a being of pure love, they're probably going to want to spread that love around yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's what they are made out of. Well, and, I mean, that would be in keeping with her past. Like, she doesn't need to erase her past. Like, just, you know, it seems like they should just go ahead and have an open relationship. Mm-hmm. That really would have solved so many problems. This yeah. issue would have gone better. But I guess we wouldn't have gotten Val back. That's true. Well, we might have. I mean, I could see Halloween Store Jesus just being like, hey, looks like there's a lady inside that lady. Maybe she could uh, join us for a little while. <laughs> In which case, Val would pop out and be like, fuck this, I'm out. Well, in which case, you know, the lady comes out of the lady, boom, mm-hmm. Val's yeah. back in her old body. There you go. So. Maybe that was Steve's plan. <laughs> Probably <laughs> that was it. Corey, let's have ourselves a battle of the band names. What band names did you find in the text of this issue? I was afraid you were going to ask that. I had two that I don't feel great about. Now that I'm looking at the cover, I wonder if Trouble in Paradise with an exclamation point is actually an actual band. They might be. It seems like it's gotta be. Yeah. So. Probably there's at least a band called Treble in Paradise. Uh, Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, I don't like that fictional thing that I just decided exists either. Okay. So then I guess my first offering would be The Winds of Watum. Oh, shit, Corey, we got a match. I had the Winds of Watum as a potential one, too. Not my favorite of my choices, but I guess that's the one we're going for. Shit. Well, we'll have some time to figure out what kind of music the Winds of Watum play. I would assume woodwinds, primarily. Oh, yeah, we've probably got a little bit of a Windham Hill thing going on. Yeah, it's probably like like some real Peter and the Wolf type shit, maybe. Mm. Definitely oboe heavy. Mm Mm-hmm. Dueling oboes. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely dueling oboes. The other options that I had, possibly we have a second match. I don't know. Two Strange Beings? Oh, no, that's good. That's yeah. better. Yeah. Fuck. Well, stupid rule. The other one that I had was Thrice Cursed Mortals. Oh, that's also the Thrice good. Cursed Mortals. I yeah, think that I didn't would have been pretty that. fun, too. What was the other one you had? The other one I had was, it's a bit of a mouthful, it is Tread Carefully Upon the Cracked Earth. Oh, I like that, too. Mm-hmm. Well, shit, we got Winds of Wartoom, though. So, uh, All the Doctor Strange slash Windham Hill fans out there are going to love it. The oboe-heavy New Age mood music <laughs> of the Winds of Wartoom. <laughs> so bad. Is there a more palatable version of that of a band that could be called Winds of Wartoom, do you think? Or do you think that's what they are? Do you think they're just like... No, I'm going with it. Okay. It's like a... Yeah, oh, oh, you're, oh. you're at Massage Envy. <laughs> you're like, hey, is this Winds of Watum? Yeah, I think you're right. All right, so we will see how Winds of Watum do against... Uh, we don't know who they're up against. No, could be anyone. No, uh, we know we know it's not going to be. Dick Raven. 
Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? I guess out of the three that I could identify, I liked the sound of Namor's booty hitting the ground. <laughs> Which noise did that make? Wood. W-H-U-D. Uh-huh. Wood. Yep. That's a compact backside right there. That's a solid noise. Oh, yeah. Diving wombat style. Oh, yeah. I had my favorite sound effect being from, as we discussed, one of my least favorite moments in the comic book. I had the sound effect, TOGETHER! Ugh. I just love the idea of that as a sound effect. Honestly, whenever you get something that I'm pretty sure is in fact a sound effect that is not onomatopoeic, I just love an expositional sound effect. After Jesus and Barbara Norris smooch, Halloween Store Jesus says, Let us walk the halls of forever together. After he says that, they kiss, and it makes the noise, together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's probably got, like, one of those, like, I don't know, crashing cymbal, wind chime. Oh, totally, sort of totally. I, I think that's somebody playing the cymbal with brushes, you know? Mm. Like jazz brushes. Yeah. <laughs> together. <laughs> Yuck. That's probably a track on the Winds of Watoom's <laughs> album. <laughs> it's the uh, name of their first album, Together. Yeah. yeah. But you have to pronounce it together. We sound like Ray Liotta. Together. <laughs> you go way more goblin with Ray Liotta than I he do. He sounds like a goblin to me. Yeah, a little bit. I'm also terrible at voices. What? Corey, give, give me a little Jersey Devil. Forget about it. That was pretty good, Corey. Was it? Yeah. I practiced it a lot. I will maybe save that so I don't need to use the same take from two years ago next year. <laughs> good. So, Corey, I would be pretty surprised if we didn't have the same top choice for this, but, uh, what was your favorite panel? Look at him dance. <laughs> oh, man! <laughs> Look at that Gary go! Uh, uh, it, it is just such a delightfully goofy panel. They arrive on the hostile alien planet, which they believe to be completely desolate, and the first thing they see is this fucking goofy-ass Gary... Wearing his lorts, just dancing the shit out of some kind of a weird jig. I don't know what the hell kind of dance he's doing. His alien lady friend, uh, I guess Scarlet, let's call her, mm -hmm. playing a leer. It's a big white rose in the background. It's just so fucking goofy. It's damn silly. There's little motion lines everywhere. His hair is flapping around. Like, you know he is going for it. He absolutely is. And it is completely unclear what kind of a dance he is doing. Later on, we see him doing, like, the Cossack thing. Mm -hmm. Like, uh... Dun, dun, no, wait, that's the can-can. But it's kind similar. of like a can-can. It's a similar motion. It's a low can-can. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a low can-can. It's a squatting can-can. But we see him doing that with his arms crossed later on, and that's really fun, too. But, man... I fucking love Gary. I like how when he bows, he will drape his tentacles over his forearm like a waiter carrying a, a cloth when he's presenting a fine champagne. It's a classy move from a classy guy. Mm -hmm. Other panels that I liked a lot, just want to give them a quick shout out. They are not as good as that. That is by far my favorite. We have a despondent at her decision to eventually do the right thing Patsy on page 17 it's just really nicely drawn 
as I mentioned, the art in this issue incredibly inconsistent. There are some just weird-looking panels that we get, and some panels in which characters look weird in this. But this is not one of them. This is a beautifully drawn panel and a very nicely shaded and inked panel of Patsy being disconsolate that she has decided saving her best friend is not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can see it in her slumped posture. Mm-hmm. So I had a follow-up to our top panel, and that is, go to, I think it's page 11, and check out the look on the faces of Namor and Son of Satan as they're watching Gary do his dance. <laughs> they are <laughs> like both of them look so amused <laughs> like get a load of this guy <laughs> patsy and hulk look a little bit confused but son of satan and namor are super into it mm-hmm. they're just like all right look at him go damn big blue gary i fucking love this gary guy yeah it's one of the better panels for like facial expressions being rendered actually It definitely is. In terms of other favorite panels, the final reveal scene of Valkyrie where she's screaming, the vengeance of the Valkyrie will be exacted soon. It's just a really nice triumphant pose and it's Val in her old outfit. I am hopeful, although skeptical, that now that she is reunited with her old body, she might bring back her catchphrase. Up against the wall, male chauvinists. Mm. Yeah, doubtful. Yeah, it is doubtful, but I would like it. I had that panel too, actually. That was my my third one out of all of them. Yeah, I I think those are all really solid choices. For panels that, as I said, the art is very inconsistent, and there are some in which it really does not work well, I wanted to specifically call out on page 5, where Son of Satan is getting all up in Enchantress's face, and the contrast between the previous panel and that one, he is making the weirdest, most overly emotive, cartoonish face. And that is the panel that Enchantress calls him handsome in, which I don't think is meant to be ironic, but it definitely comes across that way. Yeah, that's right after he uh, uses his smoothest breeze voice. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, yeah, full-on cartoon angry. Yeah, and his eyes glow like hot coals. Another, it's just a weird moment in terms of, I think you really get the feeling that this is from the inking of this. On page 13, you previously have seen some very crudely drawn little alien flowers. And in the final panel of that, it's just a bunch of little asterisks at the bottom, just dotting the landscape for no particular reason. The panel would look better without the attempt at putting those flowers in. They're just inked so heavily. All I can think of is the way that Kurt Vonnegut drew people's assholes. Ah, this is an asshole. So it it is just like Hulk and Gary slugging it out on a field of assholes. (laughs) And and it's kind of rough looking. Mm -hmm. Now, Corey, there's been a lot of Gary talk recently in this issue. Sure. And he, in fact, inspired the next category, which is a question I have to ask you. Behold or be gone. Having two extra of a body part. We see that Gary has two extra eyeballs and two extra tentacles sprouting out of his stomach. Is there an appendage that you would like two more of? It could be one that you don't currently possess. Maybe you want two tails. It could be one that you would like two more of. Like, do you want four eyeballs? Do you want four ears? Do you want uh, 
three noses. Do you want four dicks? It's <laughs> a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Is... I noticed you just glossed over the idea that you already have two. <laughs> or three. <laughs> no, oh, no, two, you, two you get two extra. Okay, got it. Yeah, sorry, my math's not great. Or maybe it isn't. There's a lot I don't know about you. <laughs> just one of them is more vestigial. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay, so is this taking place in our current universe and world? Yes. And... Yep. Hmm. I'm pretty self-conscious of how I look, even to strangers, Yeah, more so than I would like to be. So I think just because of that, I would feel so weird about having extra visible appendages Yeah, that I probably wouldn't want them. I don't want two more um, dicks. No, you don't want three buttholes. You just got a very thoughtful look on your face. If you did have that, would you only need to poop? Oh, no. A third less? No, I think you'd poop the same amount. It would just come out of oh, okay. three different places. Nobody wants that. That's more maintenance. Yeah, it seems like. Nope. I can't think of a use case in which I wouldn't be self-conscious that would be useful in right. this scenario. I can see having quadraphonic vision. I guess it wouldn't be phonic. Having quadrinocular vision might be pretty chill. And it would be a different look, but... Having, like, a biplane version of glasses, I think would be pretty cool looking. Especially sunglasses. You'd have to wear the sunglasses all the time. Otherwise, people would just think you were a monster. Yeah, I guess. You could, you know what you could do? Hmm. You could have the Dwayne Wayne glasses, flip, where they flip, flip up. Flip them. I would just leave them flipped up all the time? Just leave them flipped up all the time. People would never know. And, and then that would also give you an excuse to wear those cool Dwayne Wayne glasses. Yeah, but then you'd never get to flip them up or down, which is... You could, but what a reveal that would be. Flip them down and be like, boom, I'm looking at you. It'd be pretty dramatic, though. Yeah. And, like, think how good your vision would be. Gosh. This seems like a real damn waste, because I can't have wings, I can't have extra arms. You wouldn't want to have wings? Of course I would, but I wouldn't want to... Like, I'd have to buy whole new clothes, I'd keep banging them on stuff. Yeah, that's probably true. It'd be kind of bird-like. Oh, yeah, it wouldn't necessarily come with a cloaca. Wow, that's good. Do you want a cloaca? Or do you want two cloacas? You couldn't just have one. No. Yeah. No, I don't like keeping keeping that separate. No, that's fair. Yeah, have, you, want, you want the whole uh, McDLT downstairs situation. <laughs> hot side, hot side stays hot. Cold side stays cold. <laughs> I, are you healthy? <laughs> no. Okay. I think that's been clearly established. If you have a cold pee or a cold poop, you got yeah problems. I should probably see somebody about that. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, be gone. <laughs> okay. I think that's fair. Gosh, it probably is for me too. Although wings seem pretty rad, and I do like the idea of that Dwayne Wayne situation. You know, I feel like this is a cheat because I think I may have brought this up before. But if I did have two extra fingers, I could get knuckle tattoos that say Hakuna Matata. That might be worth it. And it's less likely people would notice that. They'd, I think they'd, they'd probably be like, wow, cool tattoo. And then, you know, a day later, they'll be like, oh, one, two, three. Wait a minute. Oh, well, I'm judging from what I just read. I shouldn't worry about it. <laughs> right? Uh, so I think, I think that might be what I'm going with. Uh, I think that would make it uh, typing a little easier, too. Mm. It would take some getting used to, but... Uh, mm-hmm. So one extra finger on each hand? Yeah. Okay. Hakuna Matata. You'd have to incorporate the thumb, but I think you could do that. Go for it. Yeah. All right. 
So one be hold and one be gone. Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie, if that pie were not made out of steel? I had a bit of exposition about the loss that Enchantress was feeling when, uh, what do we call him? We've had a lot of different names. Jeebus. Jeebus, Lord of Love, LOL, Halloween Store Jesus. When he flies away, she's sad. And on page 21, it says, They are gone leaving behind the disbelieving Enchantress with empty arms, an aching heart, and boundless rage. Bang. That's evocative. Yeah, and and you can see why for all of those things. Yep. No, I think that is very good. On the same panel that Enchantress makes her odds blood, we alluded to it briefly, but you get Spider-Man in a comic, you want him making some weird quips that don't necessarily quite land, but have the effort behind them. And in this, when... Spidey and Doctor Strange and the Right Reasons crew show up. Enchantress is like, who? And Spider-Man's like, we'll give you three guesses, Blondie, and I'll tell you right off the bat that it's not Harpo, Groucho, Chico, and Zeppo. I thought that was fun. I like the Marx Brothers. I like that he knows Zeppo. Mm-hmm. You notice he didn't include Gummo. Is that a Marx Brother? He was only part of their vaudeville act. He never made it into the movies, but oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, well, apparently neither did Spider-Man. All right. Or else they just didn't have a fifth guy with him. Mm, that could be. That's probably it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good job, Spider-Man. Yeah. He counted to four real good. I also liked a piece of dialogue that Enchantress had when she was talking about why she didn't just go get the Rose of Purity herself. For who else could bring fulfillment to the body and soul of the Enchantress but love itself? That's where she's talking about making him a being rather than just an abstract concept. Mm-hmm. But there stands one thing in the way of our final union, beloved. In order for us to merge, I must perforce regain the purity that was once mine. I would gladly vault the dimensional doorways myself if thou wouldst vault them with me. But you can't because you got to stay in Asgard as long as I created you, at least for now. Mm-hmm. It is a weird thing, though, because she doesn't have any problem leaving him to go to Earth. Like, I don't know why she needs the dude with her. It seems like it's a difficult thing to do morally to get that rose, but she could just pop over there, snip it off, head home. Yep. But I did like that vault the dimensional doorways. It's nice. Yeah, nice piece of prose. Mm -hmm. I also liked something very simple that the Hulk said, where paradise has been returned, and the Hulk just says, flower has made everything nice again. (laughs) (laughs) To the point. Yeah, that's the Hulk. Quick to the point. Mm Mm-hmm. To the point. No faking. Cooking MCs like a pound of baking. If you uh, get rid of the uh, abbreviation there, it doesn't quite work. No. No. Speaking of the Hulk, Corey, I think we both know that the Hulk rules. Mm-hmm. In this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, the Hulk's rules in this one are a little conflicting for me because he's, he's taken a page... From, I guess, the experience that the Enchantress had and the way that the audience was intended to feel about it, which is not sympathetic. Mm -hmm. But there is a bit of a lesson in there, which is that if you want to have a healthy, loving relationship, don't be such a dang jerk all the time. Like, she was so mean to so many people. Yeah. I know we're supposed to think, like, haha, she got her comeuppance and, like, that kind of fell flat. But... 
you know, there is something to that also. Like, if you want to be treated nicely, you got to treat other people nice. Yeah, and not just the person that you want to be treated nicely by. Like, exactly. if you were dating somebody and they were very cool to you, but then you go out to dinner and they're an asshole to the waiter, fucking dump them. Yep. Or they say something really mean to the checkout person at Fred Meyer, and then you got to fight about it later. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That sounds very specific. Don't stay with that person. <laughs> Good call. Also, Hulk did have an aside that, also, if you do want to stay in a healthy relationship, if they just wear a white robe and have no face, mm. maybe reconsider that. Also, in general, I, I hate to make blanket statements, but probably don't date people who like to wear a white robe with a white hood. <laughs> it seems like that is a bit of a red flag. <laughs> I think that is an excellent rule for the Hulk to learn. Thank you. I had the Hulk's rule being something that he learned from the fucked up thing that Halloween Store Jesus did at the end of the book. And that is, don't propose in public. Because, you see, I mean, it's not quite a proposal. It's what he learned from that. Because it isn't even a proposal. It's just a, well, here we go. Mm -hmm. But I think that is analogous to a proposal, and it is specifically analogous to a public proposal, which puts the person in an incredibly awkward position. It is just almost a hostage situation. The Hulk learned this not just from this issue, but from many, many romantic comedies of the 80s and 90s. Uh, I feel like uh, that was something that happened in Working Girl, which I saw recently. Mm. Not a strong film. Mm. Did not hold up well for me. Good Carly Simon song in it. But doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Melanie Griffith was apparently on a lot of cocaine during the making of that film. Mm. Sigourney Weaver, very good. Harrison Ford's character, real asshole. Mm. In a way that we were not supposed to think he was a real asshole. Oh. But that's not the Hulk's rule. The Hulk's rule is don't propose in public. Don't do a Jumbotron proposal. If you did one and it worked out for you, good for you. But you are putting the other person in a sense, what amounts to a hostage situation. And... In a sense, you are one of the hostages, too. So just don't do it, man. I think that's a fine rule. Thank you. And thank the Hulk. Thanks, Hulk. Thank you for thanking the Hulk, Corey. Is it a vicious cycle of thanks now? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a vicious cycle of gratitude. Ugh. Normally, we would do a Wong doings this issue, but somehow, and I really don't know how we did... Because I felt like we were being careful to avoid this happening a couple issues ago when we covered two comics that came out in the same month. But somehow we are a month off with this, and I don't want this to happen with the Defenders the way it has with New Teen Titans, where we're like 13 months off. Mm. So we're going to take a break from the Wong doings for the month of June, which is when this issue came out, because we did June last month. In two weeks, we'll find out what Wong was up to in July, but we already know what he was doing in June even though I don't remember what it was. Do you? Oh, who could say? There's yeah, been could so many things. Could be anything. He's been such a busy Wong. I think he could use some time off. Let's just say that's what he's doing with the rest of his June. Uh, in addition to whatever he covered last month, he's just taking some downtime, having a nap. Sounds good. Yeah. Corey, thank you so much for uh, covering this issue with me. I had a lot of fun talking to you about it. You're welcome. I had fun too. Good. We'll be back next week with a new Teen Titans. Find out how Donna Troy's doing with her new retconned origin. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing some more Perez art. And yeah, in two weeks we'll be back to find out how the Vengeance of Valkyrie goes. Yep.
In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at ttwasteland at gmail.com or at our post office box at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. I just got a lovely postcard from our friend Lucas at the mailbox. Got some uh, stamps of wombats on it. Nice. Pretty good. They poop cubes, Corey. I drank a pretty good beer the other day called uh, Combat Wombat. Did it make you poop cubes? Nope. That's unfortunate. I don't know. I think that's probably good for humans not to do. Probably, but it would be pretty exciting. Agree to disagree. We're also up on the uh, socials media. We're on uh, Twitter, the Facebook, the Tumblr. Occasionally on Instagram, Lisa runs that page, and she's been pretty busy lately, so we haven't been up on there so much lately. But uh, if you poke around on the internet, we'll probably be up on there somewhere. Just uh, hack into the web and type in HTTP backslash backslash. It's probably a front slash, right? HTTPS forward slash forward slash to get to where? The internet. Yeah. www.google.com and then type in tighten up the defense. And uh, hey, we'll probably be on there somewhere. I'll be saying things. Other times I won't be. But I'll, I'll share some of my thoughts with you. And won't that be fun? A real treat. Tell you what I will put up there. Huh. A picture of Gary doing his jig. Oh, good call. That's worth the price of admission right there. Yep. But hey, if you can't find us on the socials media, there is one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Because we'll be in there. We always have been. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Maybe uh, checking the walls. The walls of their heart? Yeah. For just looking for studs? You're going to hang some pictures or something? Oh, no, just making sure everything's in good shape. Right, with the ventricles. Yeah. Make sure you still got those four chambers. No more, no less. Yep. It's the right amount. Just, you know, structural integrity Mm -hmm. is good. Nice. Yep. I think that's a good call. I'll be enjoying a pie not made out of steel, and uh, we can get started with that pretty soon. I baked an apple butter pie. Curious how it came out. Me too. Yeah, had uh, had some extra apple butter, so uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get into that. Pie it up. Yeah. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can do so by checking us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most filed, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a whole bunch of uh, bonus videos that are reviews of classic comics that I've done. For the month of October, I did a bunch of horror or horror-adjacent comic books that were a lot of fun. And I think I'm going to continue that into November as well. Just because, what the heck? Still spooky. Sure. You know, you look at classic literature, you got ghosts straight through Christmas. Yep. This is a time of ghosts and spooks. There's one of them. That wasn't a real ghost. That was just Corey, but he did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. I do think that's a fun thing at Christmas that it doesn't seem like uh, people do anymore. You sit around and tell scary stories. That was a traditional Christmas thing that people don't seem to have done for the last hundred years or so. Was it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know, Christmas. I feel like every holiday used to be at least somewhat ghost-centric. Everyone. <laughs> and just all of them. You ever just sit around and look at pictures of ghosts? I No. Well, Christmas is coming. <laughs> Guess so. If you'd like to support the show in a non-financial way, Corey, what's the way people can do that? 
you could leave a review for the show wherever you got the podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Just uh, go up to whoever gave you that podcast and tell them what you thought about it. Yep. You could say, really helps me get into the spirit of the holidays. Oh, uh, yeah, but make spirit all in, like, capitals or italics or some way to emphasize it. Uh-huh. You could put a little asterisk before and after it. That would be a fun thing to do because it would emphasize the word, but it might also make it look like uh, like, <laughs> like the sentence has two buttholes. Yep. And like then, maybe it made that deal with uh, Behold or Be Gone. Because previ- and previously yeah, the had sentence none. had no buttholes. Okay. Now it's got two. Yep. So you could do that. <laughs> it's got and... the word spirit in the middle. Uh-huh. That was fun. Yeah. And then uh, just to select five of the stars. Yeah. And, uh... and le- if it offers more stars. Give it more. Oh, sure, yeah. But, but if five's the limit, then... Select you know. maximum stars and a couple asterisks and good That's, to go. It just makes good economic sense. Yep. They don't charge by the star, so get as many of them as you can. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Five, five. As many, five stars. As many times as you can. You can come back and... Yeah, just uh, keep keep loading up on stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's one thing mm-hmm. people can do. I guess another kind of more grassroots activity. Ooh. Is it just tell people? Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell the internet. Tell all the people that you can. Mm-hmm. A podcast shared is not a podcast diminished. I mean, I think that's the real lesson that we learned from... Uh, the Enchantress and the Lord of Love and Barbara Norris here. <laughs> this spread the podcast out. Yep. When I post the show, you can retweet it and say, I listened to this show, gave me a good time in my ear holes. Or you can say it in a less creepy way. It's up to you. It's really your oyster. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, until next week, together. Uh, bye. Bye. You ready? That's all the sounds we can make. Probably. That should be made in a small space. (laughs) Yep. Holding off on that one. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm just not that hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You hear that, Rick?